Hello everyone and welcome back to Beast Corner, a true crime podcast where I dive into some of the most infamous true crime cases of all times. So for today's uh, episode, I'm finally doing the Ted Bundy case. I feel like every single uh, true crime junkie out there knows knows about Ted Bundy, even those who are not interested in true crime has known, has heard about Ted Bundy. So um, let's get started. Uh, Ted Bundy was born as Theodore, Theodore Robert Covell on November 24, 1946, and his mother, Eleanor Louise Covell, never truly revealed the name of the father. Uh, so Ted was raised in his grandparents' house, knowing that his grandparents are his parents and his mother is actually his sister. Um, this happened because at that time it was a shame to give birth out of wedlock and with all the interviews that took place uh, that are contradictory statements about the life in his grandparents' house, Ted Bundy himself said it was a loving home and he respected his grandfather. However, um, later by some accounts it seems that his grandfather was actually like a bully and a very violent man. Um, there are also like different statements about when Bundy found out about the truth regarding his birth. He found out somewhere between his teenage years and college. Um, he initially said he found out from one of his cousins, and then uh later saying that he found the birth certificate by himself. So it's 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 a bit unclear. There are different accounts from different sites. Um. Abruptly, his birth mother changed her name from Colwell to Nelson and moved away from Philadelphia to live with some cousins in Tacoma, Washington in 1950, taking Ted with her, who at that time still believed his mother was his sister. Just one year after they moved in 1951, Louise meets Johnny Bundy, and uh, in May of that same year, they get married and Johnny adopts Ted legally changing his name to Ted Bundy. Uh, the two, Louise and Johnny, had four more children and Ted grew somehow attached to his siblings, like babysitting them and taking camping trips with his stepfather. However, uh, though Bundy seemed attached to his siblings, he grew emotionally detached from his now father. Um, Following his teenage years, Bundy was always like a good student, even active in the local Methodist church and involved in the local troop of the Boy Scouts. But all these activities uh, and apparently a loving home, Bundy never emotionally connected to anyone, becoming more of a loner and barely having friends. Um, he at once uh, stated, uh, I didn't know what made things tick. I didn't know what made people want to be friends. I didn't know what pe- what made people attracted to one another. I didn't know what underlay social interactions. So we can clearly see that during his teenage years, um, he couldn't really understand what it meant to be emotionally connected to someone. Um, even like as a loner and a socially awkward teenager, Wendy was good at athletic activities, one of them being skiing. Um, he pursued this activity and used stolen equipment, being arrested twice on suspicion of burglary. However, when he reached the age of 18, his records, his records were expunged. According to his own statements, uh, it is during his teenage years that he 
I became interested in pictures of naked women and even violent imagery. Um, so let's get into his university years. So in 1965, Bundy graduated from Woodrow Wilson High and being awarded a scholarship by the University of Puget Sound, he began that fall taking courses in psychology. Uh, after two semesters at UPS, he decided to transfer to Seattle's north of Washington. There, he started having multiple small jobs like grocery baggers or like shelf stockers. Um, as a young student at University of Washington, he met a girl and began a relationship with her in 1967. And uh, though her true name is not revealed, she will be. Um, she has been described with the pseudonym Stephanie Brooks, which is also what I'll be using. Uh, in 1968, Stephanie ended their relationship, saying she got fed up with Bundy's immaturity and lack of ambition. Uh, this might have been a turning point in his life, as he began feeling unsure of himself, uh, saying he needs time to recover after the breakup, being a painful experience for him. He told his family that he needs time away, so he took a journey to Colorado, and then further east, visiting relatives in Arkansas and Philadelphia. There, he enrolled for one semester at Temple University. Uh, author Anne Rule said that in her book that like this is when he discovered the truth about his birth. But like I mentioned in the beginning, that is like very very unclear. Um, he returned to Washington in nineteen sixty nine and became a more focused and motivated man. He also met another woman identified by like a bunch of pseudonyms. Azavet Clover, Liz Kendall, Beth Archer, Meg Anders. Uh, I'll be referring to her as Liz. Um, their relationship was a stormy one, with Liz being like overly in love with Ted and Ted having multiple other relationships or one-night stands. Uh, and during this time, Bundy also re-enrolled at Washington University, this time as a psychology major, and became an honor student well regarded by his professors and colleagues. Uh, while studying psychology, he even volunteered at Seattle's suicide hotline during night shifts. Uh, it's also like there where he met Unruh, who would later write a book about his crimes. Uh, the Stranger Besides Me, that's the name of the book. Uh, we now see that like a much more highly motivated and a far more confident Ted Bundy has emerged. Uh, it is not sure how he transformed himself from that low esteem individual to the confident, handsome man he now was. Uh, it is somehow uh, believed that the rejection he experienced through his breakup pushed him to become a successful man and prove his ex wrong. So after graduating in 1972, he started uh, to walk a political path by joining Governor Daniel G. Evans' re-election campaign and was in charge of spying Evans' opponents. Uh, he did this by posing as a college student and even disguised himself, which later became his like main way of approaching his victims. So basically, during uh, his job at the uh, governor's, as, as the governor's spy, he practically got this experience of how to disguise himself for, for further use, basically. Uh, Bundy was uh, then hired as an assistant to Ross Davis, chairman of the Washington State Republican Party, who later gave high recommendations to Bundy, which helped him getting accepted into the law school of UPS and the University of Utah. The multiple recommendations he received from his former professors, Evans and Ross, suppressed his low test scores. Um, 
it seemed that Ted Bundy was actually like on his way to a successful career and a good life. Um, he was charming, interesting, motivated, and intelligent man. But people didn't know there was like something very ugly and evil developing inside of him. Like he was actually developing into something very ugly and evil. Um, this charming man on the outside was an ugly monster on the inside. Um, and during a trip to California, Bundy reconnected in the summer of 1973 with his ex-girlfriend Stephanie. The one that rejected him because of the lack of ambition. Uh, but this time, she got swept away by this newly transformed man. So naturally, they reignited their relationship. None of the um, two women, Stephanie nor Liz, knew about each other. So Bundy continued his relationship with both of them. Stephanie fell for the new Ted and they even discussed marriage. But in 1974, he suddenly cut off all communications with her. Uh, it seemed that Bundy got what he long craved for, which was re- revenge. In his mind, he proved Stephanie that he has ambitions and is worthy of her love and could have married her if he wanted to. Um, it, it actually looks like uh, Ted planned ahead this entire romantic relationship only to prove his points. Um, it is a little bit unclear um, when exactly Bundy started killing because he told different people different stories. He said he started killing in 1971. He then told psychologist Art, uh, Norman that he killed two women in Atlantic City in 1969 while visiting family in Philadelphia. He was kind of like unreliable. So there is like no possible way to know what really when he really started killing people. Uh, his earliest documented homicides were committed in 1974 when he was uh, 27 years old. By his own men, uh, admission, he had mastered the necessary skills to leave minimal incriminating forensic evidence at the crime scene. This, of course, was before DNA testings. On January 4, 1974, shortly after midnight, Bundy entered the basement bedroom of 18-year-old Karen Sparks, a student at University of Washington. He um, bludgeoned her with a metal rod from her bed frame while she slept and sexually assaulted her with foreign objects. The victim was found the next morning by her roommates lying in a pool of her own blood. She survived the attack, but suffered permanent brain damage. No one knows um, if leaving the victim was like a mistake or he intended that. What is certain is that from then on, he plunged into a killing spree that horrified the country and, quote, fascinated every specialist trying to interview him and understand why he did it. Um, like the fascination here uh, isn't like in a good way, but more like why the fuck is someone so fucked in the head? So basically that's type of fascination. Basically the fascination psychologists and psychiatrists have understanding a serial killer's brain. Uh, his, uh, his next victim was on the early hours of February 1st, 1974. He broke into the dorm, which was apparently open, went to Anne Healy's room, knocked her unconscious and carried her away, taking some clothing items. She was never to be seen alive. Uh, on March 12, 1974, he kidnapped and murdered 19-year-old Donna Gail Manson, a student at the Evergreen State College. She was an unpredictable student who liked to party, so her, her disappearance was reported seven days later. Um, then on April April 17, 1974, Bundy went on the campus of Central Washington State College in Ellensburg 
disguised himself as a student with his arm in a cast and pretended to drop his books. Susan Rancourt is the victim who fell into his trap. She was never to be seen alive again. Um, that night, two more co-eds uh, stated that they saw a man with his arm in a cast asking for help to carry his books to his Volkswagen Beetle. They were potential victims who had lucky escapes. By now, local enforcement started to realize that a pattern of disappearance had emerged, but like ha had very little to go on. The murderers had a toll uh, also on Bundy's personal life, who started to act differently, and his behavior was noticed by his girlfriend, Liz, who became suspicious of this behavior. Um, the disappearances started catching the headlines, so Bundy considered it was time to shift his killings to another area, Oregon. Um, Kathy Parks became his next known victim on May 6, 1974. She was last seen alive on the campus of Oregon State University in Corvallis. Uh, then followed as a victim, uh, Brenda Ball. Uh, who was last seen after leaving the Flame Tavern in Brian on June 1st, 1974. She was a college dropout and often frequenting bars, having a drift, drifting lifestyle, so her disappearance was not reported until June 17, 1974. That is 16 days later. The victim list continued with Georgian, Georgian Hawkins, a popular student at UV. Uh, UW, sorry. In the early hours of June 12, uh, June 11, 1974, she decided to walk home on an alley after visiting her boyfriend. She saw a man struggling to walk, having a leg cast, so she did her final act of good, good gesture and helped the man carry his briefcase to his car. The man was seen by more than one witness. She was kidnapped, tortured, and subjected to sadistic sexual abuse before and after death. Um, his abductions become became now noticed both in Washington and Oregon, but he was excited that his actions were starting to get noticed. Um, Bondi was basically out of control. There were now six victims and headlines started pouring. However, this didn't stop Bondi quite the opposite. He became arrogant and started targeting victims during daylight. Um, his arrogance culminated on July 14, 1974, when during daylight he abducted Janice Ott and Denise Nasland from Lake Sammamish State Park. This was a place filled with people where families and tourists were enjoying a warm, sunny day. He struck a conversation with Janice Ott and convinced her to help him unload his boat from his Volkswagen Beetle. Janice agreed, and that was like the last time she was seen alive. But Bundy's thirst for killing was not satisfied. On the same day, around 4 p.m., he returned to the lake and kidnapped Denise Lanslong, who was with her friends. And uh, she, had, he, she had been caught alone for one moment, and Bundy made his move by asking her uh, for her help to unload his boat. She was never seen alive again. Uh, witnesses said a young, handsome man with a cast on his arm was asking for help from multiple young women. They described the young man as having a Volkswagen Beetle and went by the name Ted. One of the girls uh, even going with Ted to his car, but retreated, probably sensing some sort of danger. Uh, police was starting to get a lot of pressure while victim numbers were climbing. 
Uh, now they had a description of the suspect, a car and a name. So flyers went up everywhere. Media was constantly talking about it and hundreds of tips, tips came in. Um, among those tips, there was his girlfriend, Liz, who called reporting Bundy as a possible suspect. But law enforcement didn't have anything to connect him to, connect him to the murders. And he was also a clean law student with no prior problems. So the tip didn't get any pri- priority. On September 7th, 1974, the remains of Ott and Nusland were discovered off Interstate, Interstate 90, one mile away from the park they disappeared from. An extra femur bone was also discovered. It was that of uh, Georgian Hawkins. The following year, between March 1 and March 3, remains of Heli, Rancourt, Parks and Ball were found at Taylor Mountain, east of Yusaka. The discoveries were horrific. With body parts dismembered, finding only skulls, upper teeth missing, and hair detached from the head. The question now was where, where were the rest of the remains and why did the killer dump them separately? Uh, with the media frenzy around the disappearances, Bundy decided it was time to move. So he started attending University of Utah Law School in Salt Lake City. Bundy moved to Salt Lake City alone, leaving Liz in Seattle. Um, changing locations... He started killing again in October 2, uh, 1974, abducting 16-year-old Nancy Wilcox, who was last seen riding a Volkswagen Beetle. Her remains were never found. Uh, Bundy continued his murders uh, on October 18, 1974. He took the life of 17-year-old Nancy Smith, the daughter of a local police chief, Louise Smith. The victim was raped, tortured, and sodomized. The remains were discovered nine days later. The murders continued with the disappearance of 17-year-old Laura Amy, Laura Amy on October 31, 1974, after leaving a Halloween party in Lehi, Utah. Some weeks later, her naked body was discovered on the banks of a river in American Fork Canyon. It is believed that Bundy took his time with the last two victims, dressing them up and washing them until he dumped their bodies. Um, there was an important failed kidnapping. Carol Daronch was at the Fashion Place Mall on November 18, 1974, when Bundy, impersonating a police officer, told her to get into his car to accompany him to the police station because someone tried to break into her car. She did just that, but after some time of driving, Bundy tried to handcuff her. Durant struggled and like fight, fight, fought it off, and also like defended herself, uh, from a blow with a crowbar. Somehow she managed to open the car door and ran away. Durant became one of the few victims who lived to tell the story. Uh, Bundy, extremely frustrated with his victim getting away, was in search for another one. So he stopped at View Mont High School the same evening where he remembered from a flyer that a drama play was happening. He approached a teacher and a student asking them to go outside to check on a car, but both refused. Bundy's frustration was growing, so he struck again, kidnapping 17-year-old Debbie Kent. She was never seen again. Um, in the parking lot, Debbie, uh, po- the police found a key that was going to match the handcuffs on the arm of Carol Durant. Um... Between all these murders, Bundy kept in touch with his girlfriend, Liz, reassuring, that, reassuring to her that everything was okay, somehow and for some reason keeping that relationship alive. 
driving her attention away from his behavior as she called King County Police for the second time, raising her concerns about her boyfriend. She was already suspecting him as being the serial killer the media was talking about. In December, she again contacted police about her suspicions, but there was not much connecting to the disappearances. By now, both Utah and Washington state feared the unknown serial killer that left a trail of vicious murders behind him. Little did they know that both states were looking for the same killer. Bundy then returned to Seattle to spend a week with Liz, his girlfriend, after which he returned to Salt Lake City and decided to move his killings to Colorado as Utah, Utah became risky. Um, on July 12, 1975, Carol Campbell was vacationing with her fiancé and his children at Wildwood Inn at Snowmass. She disappeared and her body uh, was discovered one month later, uh, naked and frozen and having extensive injuries on her head and neck consistent with being struck with being struck with a blunt instrument. Uh, the killing spree continued with Bundy traveling from Utah and heading to Colorado. There, he spotted Julie Cunningham on March 15, 1975, while walking from her apartment to a dinner date with a friend. He approached her, pretending to be in crutches and in need of help carrying ski equipment to his car. Bundy later admitted that he returned to the body days later and committed necrophilia. Next victim was Dennis Oliverson on April 6, 1975. She was riding her bicycle heading home. He dumped her body in the river and was never covered. Uh, by now, four states were combining information and a clear pattern of the murder started to emerge. It was becoming more and more clear that a single person uh, was committing all these murders. Um, 12-year-old Lynette Culver became his next victim on May 6, 1975. She went missing in Pocatello, Idaho, from her junior high school. For unknown reasons, she got into a car with Bundy, who took her back to his hotel, drowned her, and then sexually assaulted her. He then dumped her body in a nearby river. He was, he was at this point, a pedophile and a child murderer as well. Somewhere around mid-May 1975, Bundy had visitors in Salt Lake City from three former co-workers, uh, including his former co-worker, Carol and Boone, with whom she uh, had an ongoing relationship. Then in June, Bundy spent a week in Seattle with Liz and they talked about marriage. She was unaware of his relationship with Carol. Uh, this man, this was a man who somehow between the killings managed to have not one, but two relationships with two different women, one of which was already suspicious of his behavior. It is important to realize just how disconnected Bundy was from the reality of his murder, still pretending to be a normal and a charismatic person. And uh, by the end of June, Bundy craved to kill again. Similarly to his previous murder, he picked another young girl on June 29, 1975. 15-year-old Susan Curtis vanished forever. He confessed, killing Curtis just minutes before his execution. And sadly, the remains of Cunningham, Culver, Oliverson and Cur Curtis were never to be found. Uh, police in Washington was under pressure investigating the mysterious murders and were going through the suspect list, comparing different suspects and see which one turned up uh, on more than one list. It is when uh, they noticed the same name of Theodore Robert Bundy, along with 25 other names. Uh, he was becoming a prime suspect. 
Uh, then a call came from Utah. Bundy was under arrest. Uh, on August 16, 1975, in Salt Lake City, a Utah Highway Patrol officer tried to pull over Bundy's car for cruising a residential area in pre-down hours. He refused to stop. He was chased and caught, and the officer searched his car, uh, noticing some peculiar items. First of all, the front seat was removed. Then the officer found like a ski mask, a crowbar, some handcuffs, trash bags, ice pick, rope, and another mask made out of a pantyhose and like a bunch of other items that clearly, clearly said, hey, I'm a serial killer. Bundy explained that he loves, he loves skiing and that's why he has the mask. And the handcuffs were just something he found in a dumpster and the rest of the items were just common household items. However, his car didn't go unnoticed as the detective Jerry Thompson, Jerry Thompson remembered that in November 1975, their own kidnapping, the same car model was reported as being used. This with the fact that his name was already reported by no one other than his actual fiance Liz back in 1974, put Ted right onto the suspect list for the kidnapping. Um, a search was made in Bundy's apartment. What was found was a brochure with Mount High School play where Debbie Kent went missing and a guide to Colorado Ski Resort with a mask on the Wildwood Inn where Karen Campbell disappeared and later found dead. Um, sadly, this was not enough to detain Bundy, so he was released. He later said that like during the search, police missed some Polaroid pictures of the victims, which he later destroyed. Uh, he, we can't tell if that's true, as Bundy said many things after his arrest. He was placed under 24-hour surveillance. Finally, Bundy started to feel like the haunted inside of the hunter, but he didn't seem too concerned in his psychopathic mind, believing probably that he's untouchable. And the same way he used his charm and charisma to lie through his life, he can charm the police, posing as an innocent man. Um, Detective Thompson went to Seattle and interviewed Liz again. This time, she mentioned all the peculiar things she had noticed about her fiancé. She mentioned that she often found surgical gloves as well as women's clothing and crutches. She was also asked about the uh, times Bundy was with her, discovering that Bundy was not there during the nights of Pacific Northwest victims, nor on the day when Ott and Nusland were kidnapped. Liz uh, was interviewed by state police as well. During one of those interviews, she discovered that the love of, love of her life actually proposed to another woman while in a relationship with her. And that woman was like Stephanie Brooks, obviously. A piece of information started to make sense. And Bundy seemed very close to being caught. And uh, on October 2nd, 1975, Bundy was put in a lineup and Durange called in, was called in to identify him. She immediately pointed him out as the fake poster that tried to kidnap her, but there just wasn't enough evidence to link him to Debbie Kent's disappearance. With no remains discovered and just his presence confirmed at the school, police proceeded with charging him for the aggravated kidnapper, kidnapping of Durange and attempted criminal assault. Um, his bail was set for uh, $15,000 and his parents paid it and Bundy was out again. While uh, waiting for his induct indictment, Bundy stayed with his fiancée Liz uh, in Seattle who suddenly had a change of heart about him. 
It looks like Bundy's charm was still working after all. He did say that he is innocent. And the love was strong with this one. Um, this was also the moment when Liz, Liz also stopped cooperating with the police. Which is very unfortunate. Um, detectives in three different states were desperately trying to gather evidence to connect him to the murders. So in November, um, there was an attempt to join forces. Detective Jerry Thompson from Utah, Robert Keppel from Washington, and Michael Fisher from Colorado met up in Aspen and exchanged information with detectives from five states. They all knew it. Like Bundy was the murderer, but more bulletproof evidence was basically needed. But there was one thing they had after his arrest for failing to stop for an office back in August. Bundy knew he was already pushing the limits, so he decided to sell his car. That was a mistake he did as law enforcement impounded the car after it was sold and FBI took it over. Um, they had now the possible car used in kidnappings while dismantling the car. They found samples of hair and that hair matched the hair obtained from Karen Campbell's body. It was something big, but like still not enough. They also found hair from Durange and Melissa Smith. Um, however, he was uh, sent to trial for Durange kidnapping. Started on February 23, 1976. And Bundy waived his right to a jury. After four days of trial and three days of deliberations, Bundy was found guilty of kidnapping by Judge Stuart Hansen Jr. On July 30th, 1976 he was sentenced to serve a minimum of one year to maximum of 15 years in the utah state prison but the colorado police was ready to charge him with also the murder also with murder so a couple months later in october the colorado police pursued his extra the extradition with face to face trial for the murder of karen campbell bundy was transferred to aspen in january 1977 after uh, he gave up fighting the extradition order. Uh, during this time, he actually escaped from prison. Um, so he or he was already sentences sentences for kidnapping, and now was facing a murder trial. Um, in June 7, 1977, Bundy was taken from Garfield County Jail in Glenwood to Pitkin County Courthouse for a preliminary hearing. However, Bundy was arrogant and already had his own plans carefully crafted in his mind. He decided to be his own lawyer, knowing that this way he will get certain privileges, one of them being the removal of handcuffs and leg shackles. Another privilege was to visit the courthouse library, as he needed the documents to defend himself, right? Well, that was all he needed to pursue his real plan. He jumped the window from the second floor of the courthouse and made his way through his escape, managing to pass the roadblock being instated. Uh, he hiked onto Aspen Mountain and broke into several cabins to steal food, clothing, and weapon. Somehow, Bundy got lost in the forest going back and forth towards Aspen. He then stole a car to use it in his escape, but was caught by police and arrested again after six days on the run. Um, managing to elude the police for six, six days uh, on the run, Bundy had the taste of freedom clearly shaped, shaped in his mind. He might have failed in his first escape, but that didn't stop him as he already started planning another one. Uh, he was taken back to jail in Glenwood Springs. Bundy 
just smi- Bundy just smiled, his smiles just became more confident as the case against him was falling apart. With pretrial motions being resolved in his favor and some evidence declared inadmissible. But a winnable trial, which would have been like a sunny day to another man, sending a murder trial in Colorado was not enough for Ted. Um, standing trial would take some time, time that Bundy didn't want to spa- spend waiting for a possible acquittal. So against advices from different friends, he decided to move forward with another escape plan. Um, for Bundy, the longer he stayed in prison, the longer he had to wait until he killed again. He was craving to kill. For him, this was the most important thing. Another woman to possess in the way he only knew how. Raping, torturing, and killing, basically. Uh, Bundy somehow acquired a plan of the jail. Uh, a hexo a blade and $500. Smuggled in, probably during visit hours, by Caroline Bone, his lover, the other one. Uh, this was a very determined man who couldn't just get off of that ugly feeling inside of him. Carefully, every evening while inmates were showering, he saw, uh, he saw the hole about one foot between the steel bars in his cell's ceiling. Uh, you might say that like one foot is not that big uh, for a man of Bundy's size. Well, it wasn't because Bundy was an ambitious man, so he lost all necessary weight. All that was left was just like wait for the right moment to make the move. By the end, the by the end of uh nineteen seventy seven, Bundy filed a motion for a change of venue from Esper to Denver. Uh, he was granted this request with uh to Colorado Springs. That was not good for Bundy. So on December thirteen, nineteen seventy seven, he put his uh, escape plan in motion. He escaped through the hole he saw and. He was discovered missing only the following day at noon. By then, like Bundy was far, far away and ready to kill again. Out from prison, he made his way to Chicago by stealing a car, taking the bus and even a flight. From there, he went to Tallahassee, I have no clue how to pronounce that, Florida where he tried to stay low by changing slightly, by changing his appearance slightly and surviving on petty crimes like shoplifting. He did try to get a legitimate legitimate job, but had to give up after he was asked for a driving license. Um, he returned at, uh, he returned to practically doing theft. Um, maybe he did try to stay very low, thinking that he can avoid police forever, but this was like Ted Bundy, a serial killer, and not the kind that wants to stop assaulting women and killing them. Uh, like an addict uh, craving for his dose, uh, the same way Bundy felt about his wishes, desires. So on January 15, 1978, just after one week of trying to stay low, he entered the Florida State University sorority house at around 2.45 a.m. With a savage thirst, he bludgeoned 20, 21-year-old Margaret Bowman while she was still asleep then suffocated her with some nylon stockings. Then he continued his violence, entering the bedroom of 20-year-old Lisa Levy. He beat her, strangled her, bit her, and sodomized her by sexually assaulting her with a foreign object. This was not enough, uh, not for Bundy, who couldn't do what he wanted for almost two years. 
So he moved on to the next bedroom where he attacked Kathy Clyder and Karen Chandler. Both suffered a broken jaw, loss of teeth, teeth and crushed bones. Um, 15 minutes. That's all the time he needed to attack four women. 15 minutes. Can you imagine? Like less than five minutes per victim. This was finally... He was finally getting... He was fixed. He was euphoric. Impossible to stop and already looking for the next victim. Um, after leaving the sorority house and breaking into a basement apartment eight blocks away, he attacked Florida State University student Cheryl Thomas. Same marks were left behind. Broken jaw, broken skull. However, he left the victim alive, but with a permanent hearing damage. He also left behind evidence like um, a pantyhose mask and hair. So for he for like three weeks he was not caught, and three weeks later on February eighth, nineteen seventy eight, he stole a van and headed east to Jacksonville. He approached fourteen year old Leslie Parmenter by impersonating Richard Burton, the fire department, but his plan failed when the girl's brother showed up. He failed and was in need of another victim. The next morning, uh, he found the twelve year old Kimberly. Diana Leach, who was uh, who who never returned to her class at Lake City Junior High School, and almost uh, two months later, her remo- remains were discovered in a pig farrowing thirty five miles from where she went missing. Um, his arrest and capture went nationwide. Bundy went immediately on trial for the Sarity House murders and Lake City murder. Arrogant like he usually was, he decided to build his defense as he wants it. He wanted to control, being overconfident in his ability to lie and manipulate, or maybe he just loved national attention. As trial became, like, as the trial became the central of attention of the nation, Mike Nerva, <clears throat> a lawyer in his defense uh, team, said that uh, a plea was negotiated, in which uh, Bundy would plead guilty to killing Levy, Bowman, and Leach, and get twenty. Uh, 75 years in prison. Initially, Bundy agreed to it, thinking that in time he can reduce his sentence and avoid death penalty. Realizing he has to say that he's guilty out loud for the entire world to hear, he decided to continue with the trial. During the trial, the evidence against him was overwhelming, and after deliberating for seven hours, the jury found him guilty on July 1979 of the murder of Bowman and Levy. Two counts, two counts of attempted first-degree murder on Kleiner, Chandler, and Thomas, and two counts of burglary. Um, Judge Edward Carver sentenced him to death for the murder convictions. Um, after reading his sentence, the judge said something very interesting. Um, and I'm going to read it now. It is ordered that you be put to death by a current of electricity. That current be passed through your body until you are dead. Take care of yourself, young man. I say that to you sincerely. Take, take care of yourself, please. It is an utter tragedy for this court to see such a total waste of humanity as I've experienced in this courtroom. You're a bright young man. You'd made, you'd made, you would have made a good lawyer, and I would have loved to have you practice in front of me. But you went another way, partner. Take care of yourself. I don't feel any animosity towards you. I want you to know that. Once again, take care of yourself. Like, this fucking murder even impressed the judge. Like, your judge, wh- why are you calling him, like, a bright... No, he's a murderer. He, he's a... He is a pedophile and all of, like, the awful things out there. 
it infuriates me to like read even read these words. And half a year later, after this trial, another trial took place in Orlando for the murder of Kimberly Leach. After less than eight hours of jury deliberation, Bundy was once again found guilty. Um, then like something um strange happened, strange for us. But then again, this was Bundy, like not a normal guy. Being his own defense lawyer, he took advantage of a law in Florida, which stated that a marriage proposal acceptance in accord in the presence of a judge, uh, judge becomes a legal marriage. He asked Carol Ann Boone to marry him during her questioning. Then he declared himself legally married. Like, come on, what are you doing? Uh, on February 10, 1980, Bundy, who was now legally married, not sure what that was about, uh, was sentenced to death again by electrocution. He was heard screaming, tell the jury they were wrong. This was the death sentence that was actually carried out nine years later. Plenty of time for honeymoon visits because apparently Carol became pregnant with his daughter and giving birth on October uh, 1982. Um, finally, the serial killer keeping five states in fear was in jail and sentenced to death. Bundy uh, had a lot of stories to tell, many of them confusing or false, but nevertheless, he did give details about some of his murders. During his death row, many specialists, uh, detectives interviewed Bundy in a desperate attempt to understand what this man was, why would he kill in such a manner, and why he didn't stop. Uh, everyone tried to get to him before his execution. Um, Stephen McCowd and Hugh Einsworth were some of the ones interviewing him. Slowly, Bundy started talking. And uh, after all, that was like the only way he knew how to retain attention. He talked about his career as a thief, talking about his desire to possess things. Ultimately, his desire to possess what he was doing all to his uh, victims. Uh, like the taking of the life and then the physical possession of the remains. Uh, in October 1984, Bundy contacted um, Robert Keppel and offered to share his self-proclaimed expertise in serial killer psychology. Uh, after all, he did study psychology in his university years and he had heard about the task force for the Green River Killer. Uh, Green River Task Force Detective Dave Reinhardt interviewed Bundy and later collaborated with Mike Holland on another examination of the interview material. Um, the execution date was set on March 4, 1986 for the Sorority House murders, but the Supreme Court issued a stay of execution and the date was res rescheduled uh, in apply for July 2nd. Uh, Bundy started to make confessions. He began uh, confessing the murders to Hagmeyer and Nelson, giving descriptive details about what he had done to the victims before and after their death, even admitting that um, he used to revisit their crime scenes and lie with his victims, committing necrophilia with their or decomposing bodies. He also mentioned that he used makeup for Melissa Smith's face and washed Laura Amy's hair. Bundy decapitated more than um, 10 of his victims with a hacksaw. Um, with less than 15 hours before his scheduled execu execution, the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals state, uh, stated, stated and case reviews were demanded, including Bundy's mental state. 
a new date for execution was for November 18, 1969, 60, 1986. Nine days later, the 11th Court of Appeals issued another stay in mid uh, eight, in mid-1988, the 11th Court of Appeals ruled against Bundy and the Supreme Court denied Bundy's motion to review that decision. A new execution was finally set for January 24, 1989. The arrogant Ted Bundy exhausted all his legal means and there was no way to pos- postpone the inevitable, so he started talking. He called Kepper the Washington detective and confessed that he was responsible for the eight murders in Washington and Oregon. Bundy also disclosed that there are five more victims, two in Washington and two uh, on Oregon, but declined to identify them. He added that he left uh, Donna Manson's body on Taylor Mountain and took her head for incinerating it in Liz's, Liz's fireplace. He then continued giving details about how he abducted Georgian uh, Hopkins, blowing her into his car, hit her, handcuffed her and strangled her and how he spent the night with her body, revisiting her names uh, remains several times after the murder. Uh, Bundy added that the next morning he returned to University of Washington and retrieved her shoe and earring, which were left behind at the scene of abduction. Um, Bundy described killing numerous victims in Idaho, Utah, and Colorado. Details were left out to influence another state of execution. But he never gave like sufficient details, and the many details he gave didn't really help law enforcement in discovering more bodies. It looks like uh, Bundy didn't use his leverage as best as he could, or he was like simply lying, basically. And that, ladies, gentle, ladies, gentlemen, and non-binary hoes, was the uh, case of Ted Bundy. I absolutely despise Ted Bundy. I mean, I despise all serial killers, but I just despise Ted Bundy on another level because of, like, how much dam- damage he he inflicted. And, like, just all of that pedophilia, all of that necrophilia, all of that murder, all of that rape, it's just, it infuriates me on another level. And it makes me really upset. So now I'm just gonna go and watch some sweet anime too. <laughs> Make myself at least a bit more happier, but yeah, that was the infuriating case of Ted Bundy. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I would also like to apologize in advance for mispronouncing any words. As you all know, English is not my native language, and I'll see you guys in the next episode.